Well, hello and welcome to Nerd Unscripted. This is your host, Tony Leidig. And today I thought we would talk around the theme of I Remember When. And where this idea kind of came from, many of you know that I am a bit of a history buff. I love doing research in history, which goes along with genealogy and all that kind of stuff. I've done genealogy research for 15 years or so, um, probably a little longer. I actually don't remember when I started. It's been at least 15 years, um, if not 20. But I've always been fascinated by it. Not sure why, uh, quite frankly. Maybe I have an old soul. I don't know. <laughs> but um, I remember years ago um, when I lived in New Jersey, I managed this printing company in this little town called Egg Harbor City. Uh, which is maybe about half hour, 40 minutes from Atlantic City. And the road that I drove uh, to the printing company uh, to, to work every day um, was this long road. I mean, just long and straight as you can imagine, which always struck me as kind of odd. Um, and I did a little research and discovered that it used to actually be a railroad and they removed the rails and turned it into a regular road. And so then it got me curious. And so I started doing research on this railroad and discovered that there was this bustling little town and everything at this one intersection that I was familiar with, except that there isn't anything there at that intersection now. And um, so I, I found photos. Um, this is really before online was much of a thing. So I actually had to go to you know, local historical society and stuff. So it wasn't as easy doing research then as it is now. Um, but I found all these photos and everything and I made copies of them. And I remember on my lunch break, I would drive down to this intersection, which really about the only thing you could even see that gave a hint that anything was there was a small uh, section of poor concrete, like a real rough looking concrete. And so I would stand there and just kind of look around and imagine, you know, a hundred years ago, what it was like. Because the photos that I saw were crazy. I mean, just really busy with lots of people and lots of buildings and all of that. And now, of course, it's all gone. Um, thanks to time and, in, um, you know, innovation and all of those things, railroad really lost their meaning in a lot of respects, except for moving freight, like we mostly see today. I mean, we still have Amtrak and stuff like that, but um, with more and more cars and all of that, of course, railroad has changed quite a bit. And uh, that's just something that I've always enjoyed doing is spending time doing research. And uh, one of the, one of the reasons why, I mean, I know that many of you are probably my age or probably a little older. Maybe a few of you are younger. Um, but, you know, here we are. We've lived um, our life up until this point. And uh, my mom was here for breakfast this morning. She comes every Tuesday and Thursday. And I have breakfast with her. I've been doing that for 10 years. And um, we were talking this morning about... Um, remembering the quote-unquote good old days, which I never really thought I would have good old days, <laughs> you know, because you know how, how it is. You think of yourself as younger than what you really are. I'm 56 this year, um, turned 56 in April. And, of course, one of the things that's that's really interesting now that Kristen and I have um retail stores in my local town, the town that I went to school in, grew up in, I was born in the hospital here, all of that, is that I remember when everything was a lot different. I remember be, I remember downtown in our local downtown before, you know, the, um, the mall that was built went in and before there was such a thing as big box stores like Target and Walmart and before there was online shopping. So like late 60s into the 70s, things were a lot different then than what they are today. And uh, this, the uh, storefront where our toy box is, interestingly enough, 
is the uh, oldest establishment in Chambersburg that has had ongoing um, retail in it in one form or another starting in 1780. Um, there's been some kind of a retail space in that spot. Of course, it's been burned down a couple of times and all of that, but the original foundation is there. And so we can actually go into the basement and see the original foundation um, that was there whenever the whole town was burned down. Um, but whenever I was a kid, it was an Endicott Johnson's shoe store. And I remember going in there with my grandmother. She would take me in there shopping for shoes and what is now our um, storage area in the basement used to be where they would have their clearance section for shoes and stuff. And I remember going down there. I remember being there. It looked a bit better than it does now, <laughs> you know, but it, it's just, it's interesting and it's fascinating to me how things change. Like the house that I grew up in, um, in uh, our local town of Strasburg, um, it's parking lot now. You know, all the houses, all of our neighbors' houses, it's all parking lot now. And it's uh, one of the things that, uh, I don't know, that I give a lot of thought about personally, perhaps you do, perhaps you don't, is that uh, it comes from a statement that I actually made to my mom today. Hadn't really thought about it before uh, until today. But I said, you know, because we were talking about all the different places that we used to visit. And, you know, um, both my mom and dad went to one room schoolhouses and I've been able to photograph both of those. And, you know, all of that. My dad's homestead that he grew up in when he was a little kid and everything. And my mom's as well. And, you know, I, I said to, to mom, I said, you know, how we remember life the way it was when we were all growing up my grandkids will have zero frame of reference. They will have no idea, you know, what life was like then, unless we tell them, you know, and my mom agreed. She's like, well, it's up to you to tell them, you know, write it down, write a book, <laughs> which is what Kristen said, you know, write it down in a book. And I thought, you know, I don't know how many people would really be interested in that, but you think about, how life was whenever you were a kid experiences even you know negative experiences in some cases but certainly the positive ones um it's just life is so radically different today than how it was i mean thanks in large to technology of course but where's it going to be in a hundred years or you know even longer you know go two generations out or three generations out from us um, you know, we have generations of kids being born now that, you know, have no idea what a, a regular rotary dial phone is or, um, an eight track or, you know, some of those kinds of things. It's kind of silly to think about, but even more so locations, you know, I mean, houses don't last forever and, um, even places that are historic sites, unless they're really, you know, well-known historic sites like Gettysburg, for instance, um, those stories are ultimately lost to time, except for the ones that were life-changing to lots of people or whatever. And for some reason, the idea of that bothers me, you know, uh, and it isn't just about me and my life, not that it's any big thing. I, I told Kristen the other day, um, we were walking around, it was over the weekend, and I said, well, you know, one thing is for certain um, with what I've created over time and what I've taught in courses over time and photographs, uh, you know, the half million photographs or whatever that I've taken since I started, and all that kind of stuff. It's like, I'll at least have some kind of a footprint in history. Maybe not a national footprint or worldwide or whatever, but um, you won't be hard-pressed to know that I existed <laughs> in some form or another. But I think it goes way beyond that. I, when we lose sight of the past, um, I think we lose part of ourselves. And 
it's like there's this underlying something that we know is missing or that we feel like is missing and in the rush and the hustle bustle and the technology of today and all of that we it's almost like we don't make time to appreciate the past anymore you know i mean i remember very distinct snapshots uh it it's always fascinating to me how you know here i am on the planet 56 years Obviously, I lived every one of those days, but I don't remember them all. Chances are likely you don't either. Like every single day of your life up until today. Um, but we have snapshots. It's not that that information isn't in there. Um, you know, likely is just because we get these random memories every so often that um, I don't know. Like I have a, a picture of uh, setting at the kitchen table and there's a Pepsi clock hanging on the wall. And we used to get, actually, we used to get Pepsi delivered to our house by the truck. They bring them in cases at a time because my mom was quite the uh, Pepsi-holic. But I remember playing, uh, like sitting at the table and the clock is there. And I had one of those football games. I don't know if you ever played where it was like the metal um, like the metal game. And then you had the football players that were painted plastic and they had like these little tiny feathery brushes almost on the bottom of them. And so whenever you would turn the game one, you'd like set them up and then you turn it on and the, the football field, because it was metal would like vibrate lightly and the vibration would control, you know, the direction of the little football players. And the football itself was like this little felt, a football shaped thing that you would stuff in, you know, whoever you pick to be the quarterback and whatever. And it's funny, you know, I remember playing stuff like that. I don't even know if those games exist, like where you could buy retail. I know you could find them in antique shops and stuff, but um, I don't know. It's stuff like that that I find fascinating that, you know, my grandkiddos, Maya, Wyatt, and Charlie and them, and Lily, they have no idea about any of that stuff. And one of the things that, I've personally committed to doing, uh, which is one of the reasons why I do so much with genealogy is that I want my kids and grandkids and whoever comes after, uh, to know where they came from, you know, but not just like for me, one of the frustrating things in genealogy research has been like, you find the data you can find the data in many cases, not in all cases. I know, you know, some of you who do genealogy research, you, you know exactly what I mean, where you can hit dead ends. I've had some dead ends that took me 15 years or 10 years to get through, um, but I finally got through them. But you get the data, so-and-so was born on what day and they died on this day and they got married on that day and they lived in such and such a location during this census or that census. Um, they served in the military, they got out on this day and their pension kicked in on this day and they bought a house on this day. So you can get like data, uh, through research, but what's missing, what's missing is the stories, right? It, uh, entire lives full of people and nobody knows their stories anymore, you know, and not just your family not just my family or families, you know, as the tree spreads out. Millions and millions of people who had daily moment-by-moment -moment experiences, who had these stories, and they're all gone. You know, two generations and they're gone, for the most part, unless they're written down. And so some folks are fortunate, you know, to have diaries that they can look back on or letters that were sent, which we don't really do letters anymore. We have emails and stuff, social media posts and whatever. Um, and I don't know if you do this, but even like Facebook posts and all that, I archive mine on a very regular basis, download everything just so that I have it. Um, but like so much, like even my dad, you know, my dad, we're coming up on the 10th anniversary of his passing in February. And, you know, I mean, I lived with the guy for 45 years <laughs> and, uh, 
I find my memories of him fading at times. Uh, fortunately, being a history buff and researchaholic and genealogy guy, I've been able to gain access to a lot of family photos and those kinds of things, which I scan on a regular basis. And um, being a photographer kind of guy <laughs> since I was 14, um, I've taken a lot of photos. So there's a, a, a lot of things like that. Like I've always been, as I mentioned earlier, fascinated with history. So even when my dad was living, like he would take me over to where he grew up, which is about half an hour, 40 minutes from where I live now. And a very, very rural area. And half the towns that he visited when he was a kid don't even exist anymore. Like, they're not even on a map anymore. Um, but we would go over and I'd take my camera along and he would take his along. And we would photograph a lot of the places where he grew up. And looking back at that now, I'm really grateful because, you know, pictures that I took of buildings whenever I was 16... Uh, 18 in that uh, period of time are gone. You know, they don't even exist anymore. Like the school that he went to, um, that he walked to, you know, uphill both directions in the snow. Um, <laughs> you know, three feet of snow that he walked uphill in both directions. Um, <clears throat> but in all seriousness, seriousness is about a mile away from where he lived. And I was able to photograph that. Um, you know, and, and everything, of course, we're talking film back then, not digital, but, um, I still have those photos and, uh, I don't know, <clears throat> it provides an anchor, you know, um, it helps, even though I didn't attend that school, I remember visiting that school with him. And so it's an anchor for that story. And that's one of the things that, um, I find extremely valuable is that photographs provide that for us. They provide like an anchor for the story so we can put two and two together. The more photographs we have, the more we can remember when. Um, and sometimes like there are like the, the scene that I described earlier, there isn't a photograph of me sitting at the table playing that football game. I remember doing it. But there are photographs of the kitchen where you can see the Pepsi clock hanging on the wall and and all of that. But beyond that, I just, it seems like, and maybe I'm being overly nostalgic, but it seems like in the time that we live right now, and I can't imagine this changing for the better, with as much data exists today and is being saved today, it still seems like it's so radically different. You know, we probably have more information on our lives, uh, especially if you're involved in social media at all, more information that's saved on about your life and what you're doing in a year than what previous generations had in their entire lifetimes. And, uh, course if you start talking about the NSA and some of them even more data exists but because <laughs> they supposedly record everything but even though they record our conversations or they see our posts on social media or whatever the stories are still missing behind them you know the stories are still missing and uh you know I I find myself at times looking at photographs that are from a time before I even was alive of, you know, great, great grandparents or great grandparents or whatever. And of course I, re some of them I remember from whenever I was a kid, I remember them, but they were older. Um, but to see them when they were young, you know, but it's just a snapshot glimpse one second out of their entire existence, you know, is all that you have left of them. And, I don't know. I, I just find myself wishing I knew more because 
Like one thing that chances are likely that one thing like my grandkids will never experience is something that I experienced when I grew up. Like I remember my grandmother lived across the street, cut a corner across the street from us. It was a big house, um, no plumbing. Uh, So that meant that there was an outhouse out back. (laughs) And uh, not to say that everything, all those memories are pleasant. Like going into her outhouse in the wintertime was not my idea of a good time, but, but still, you know, and I remember, uh, going to fetch water, um, back, you know, back then taking a bucket out, like two buckets. One was a small bucket with water in it to prime the pump. And the other was to catch the water in the pump. And, uh, I remember she had a huge kitchen with like a built-in flour uh, sifter and all that kind of stuff. And her and my mom and my aunts would all be out there, like not even, especially on the holidays, but not even on the holidays, we'd often get there on, together on Sundays after church, which the church was directly across the street from my grandmother's. Um, and they'd all be out there um, preparing food together and baking and all of that. And I like food, so I was often out there. <laughs> I was either doing that or, you know, on a on you know the latest quest of the moment because I've always been wired that way, even as a little kid. Um, but I remember that, and I remember my great grandmother uh, sitting in a chair out there, you know, watching them. Not really contributing a whole lot. I mean, she was much older, but still in pretty decent health. Um, but she would just kind of watch and, you know, they, they would prepare a lot of recipes that came from her, my great grandmother. And, uh, and then, uh, on the front porch, my grandfather would be out there, my dad, myself, maybe some of my cousins. And, uh, and the time period that I'm talking about would have been... Let's see, I would say early 70s, probably, around that period of time, early 70s, yeah, that's about right, early to mid, early to mid 70s, somewhere around there, because I know we lived there in 76, because that's when, you know, the UFO showed up and everything, but, um, yeah, so everybody would be sitting on the porch, my dad would have his guitar, my grandfather would have a harmonica um, and they would play blues and gospel hymns. And my grandfather would sing uh, sometimes. And uh, my aunt uh, my aunt and uncle both sung really well. And so they would join in sometimes. And I just remember that. I mean, it is a very, I don't know, old time, I guess, if you think about it. And uh, a lot of uh, kids my age, even back then, didn't grow up in an experience like that because it was kind of at the tail end of when everybody was friends with everybody in the neighborhood and, you know, that kind of thing. A lot changed in the 70s, as you know. Um, Once we hit the 80s, it's like a downhill slide, you know, slippery slope. Um, But... I think about today, how distracted our kids are, how distracted we are, you know, what kind of memories are we making, um, with our family? What kind of stories are we establishing that they'll remember when they're older, you know, depending on how old they are now. And, uh, it's something to think about, you know, you and I aren't going to be around forever. And so fast forward 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, whatever, let's just say 50 years, you know, chances are likely that many of us listening to this right now, or me, uh, 50 years from now may not be around. I mean, that'd make me 106. (laughs) Uh, it might be interesting to be around at 106, but we'll see. Uh, but life is likely going to be even more radically different by then. You know, we'll probably have people living on Mars, like officially. I don't mean unofficially, like they already are, but 
you know, officially we'll have people on Mars uh, and the moon and all that, even though they've been there for years. Um, but technology will be different. The way we tell stories perhaps will be different. Um, but yet how much of us, our lives will be remembered. How much of life as we currently know it will be remembered much less from the eighties and nineties or even way before then. Um, you know, Whenever our grandkids or great grandkids or whatever look back, what will they remember? And uh, it's something to think about, you know. Uh, nostalgia is something that we tap into a lot, but um, I'm a big believer and always have been in legacy, um, heritage. You know, um, you know our cultural foundations. And, and it's funny, you know, very often uh, things like that, like culture, for instance, is used in a very divisive manner because it's been uh, often uh, used against people of culture, like Native Americans, for instance. You know, these days to get any qualifying benefit or whatever for being Native American, you have to prove that you are like a freaking dog, you know whether you're a pure blood or you have a degree of blood or whatever. Um, so, you know, in the time that we live today, we have different types of things that are qualified as being legitimately X. Dogs, cats, horses, and Native Americans, you know. If you have enough blood, you're Cherokee. Congratulations. But, I mean, it's also been proven that genetically, uh, culture will come out in about three to four generations. It just, it's naturally bred out of our DNA and everything. And so, in remembering, I mean, one of the things that's been really eye-opening, um, my mom's family, I have multiple lines that originally came through Cherokee culture, like four different lines that all had Cherokee in the past. But yet here I am today, uh, and I've proven that, by the way, that it was legitimate through um, the research. I've done the research, and I've proven those lines. But those lines, to me, are, I'm about four to five generations removed uh, from when family members were quote-unquote, full-blood Cherokee, which in this day and age with DNA doesn't even actually mean anything because of discoveries that were made in um, that genome. But um, whenever I do DNA tests today, it's gone. It, the, you see like 1%, um, 2% that points in that direction. And everything else points to... Uh, what's happened in my family between now and the late 1700s, you know, which is Irish, English, you know, those kinds of things. So the only thing that I have left of any heritage connection at all is what I've been told, what I've learned. Um, you know, I mean, I grew up with stories. I remember my aunt and uncles telling me stories of ancestors and, you know, um, one who was a, a chief about six generations back. Um, I remember growing up being taught a lot of the crafts, you know, basket making, um, some of the old Cherokee recipes, stuff like that. Um, I grew up with them. My grandmother had all those recipes, but, um, that's all that I have. You know, and then later on, I, I met a number of Cherokee elders that I got to sit down with and talk to and shared stories and and all of that. And they were very accepting and encouraging and embracing. And so I learned more about that heritage through talking with them. Uh, and, of course, danced in powwows and I have traditional Cherokee regalia and all that kind of stuff, even though I look about as Irish English as you can get. But, um, 
the the challenges okay like my um part of my ex-wife's family was lakota if you go back um and of course with that knowledge of those different cultures we raised our girls from the time they were very very young actually before they were teens um in native american culture uh we spent a lot of time with that we danced the powwows the presentations all that kind of stuff um all of my grandbabies have been introduced into the circle um in a traditional fashion you know the way it was has been done for centuries and so they are aware of that culture but yet there's still the filtering effect you know those stories are still filtering out through them and so their memories of native american heritage i mean they're even less than what we were as you know as adults and then even more or less than what my mom or their great-grandparents were and so on as it goes and that's why i think it's so important i uh, and you may not hold the same belief that i do not everyone's interested in history or heritage or anything like that but i think we owe it to the future to record the stories anybody can find facts you know, just a little bit of research, especially today. Anybody can find facts. But to me, the facts mean nothing without the stories. I mean, I can prove that my great-great-great-grandparents lived. I have all their birth dates, death dates, marriage dates, all that kind of stuff. Even have a couple pictures, like one or two. So I can prove that they lived. But do I know them? Do I know anything about them other than the fact that, you know, there's Bruce, there's Margaret, you know, <laughs> my great-great-grandparents. Um, I don't know anything about them. So it's almost like they've been wiped from history, even though they existed. And uh, I don't know, in the in the grand scheme of reincarnation and all that kind of stuff maybe none of it matters you know maybe at the end of the day and in the grand scheme of millions of years of history none of it matters but i mean even think about that you know i'm just talking about gosh two or three hundred years back uh if even right um imagine a thousand years back 2,000, 5,000, 10,000, 100,000, right? Think about all the people that have lived and we know very little about them. Like I find, of course, I'm fascinated with dinosaurs and fossils and all that kind of stuff. And I find it incredibly interesting to read the stories and conclusions that people make about animals that existed 100 million years ago. Like... How the hell, you know, lucky guess, um, making shit up all the above, who knows? Um, but I, I don't know. You, you look at that and we think, oh yeah, we know exactly. This is a T-Rex and this is what they likely look like based on the bone configuration and all of that. And then all of a sudden somebody finds a fossil that's also deemed to be T-Rex and this one has feathers you know, or the hint of feathers. Uh, and then they find another fossil that uh, predates the T-Rex, but it's smaller, but it has the hint of rainbow colored, you know, plumes and stuff like that. And uh, so we, we take little bits and pieces of data, state it as fact, create stories around it that most likely aren't even true, <laughs> you know? Like, I, I'm pretty certain that nearly every conclusion about dinosaurs, just using that as an example, is 100% wrong. And as time goes on, I think proof will prove me correct. That, I mean, yeah, we know what the bones look like, so we can assemble those, perhaps. You know, we may not even completely get them in the right order. Who knows? But, um, but what they actually look like, it's best guess, you know, 
And I'd rather, you know, a thousand or 10,000 years from now, if any of us even factor in to a thousand or 10,000 years from now, I'd rather my life not be best guess. Um, unless they're guessing like superhero, multi-trillionaire or whatever. If they want to guess that about me, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> you know? Uh, and then even with the whole reincarnation factor, if it's a thing, you know, we freaking come back and can't remember a damn thing anyway from previous lives. So to me, it's like a lesson in futility. Um, but long story short, one of the things that I would really invite you to consider is not to write a book or, or anything like that, but memories that you have of from when you were a kid, memories that you have of your parents or like maybe your parents were idiots. I mean, I, who knows? Maybe your childhood was not a good experience, but there still had to be happy times. And, you know, to me, that's something that has value is to record those memories that you have of grandparents or great grandparents, because, you know, once you're gone, those memories are gone. Um, it's one of the reasons why my great uncle, who was my grandmother's brother, he passed about two years ago and he was family historian. So he knew a lot more about our family than I did. And I spent a lot of time talking with him. Um, I would take large collections of old photos and print them out on paper and then sit with them and we would write out who it was and all of that. And then I would just listen to him telling the stories of who these people were. I didn't know who they were other than a name, perhaps. But just listening to him telling the stories of who those people were, to me, it validates my relatives. You know, it's like we brought them back. Maybe that's one of the reasons why I find public domain content so important is because if we don't bring it forward, if we don't access it and turn it into something new, um, the chances of it being lost to time are extremely high. And so you have the brilliance of people writing books, um, old time inventions, you know, the genius, the insights that people who have been long gone, um, but that contributed back in their time, that all vanishes, you know, if we don't remember it. And that probably is why I'm so drawn to public domain is for that, because I guess at the end of the day, so combining everything together that makes me, me, uh, I'm a storyteller, you know, that's who I am. I'm a storyteller, whether it's through images taken with my phone or my camera or, um, genealogy research that I've done or teaching classes on fill in the blank <laughs> since I've taught on a lot of topics uh, or just having discussions like today. Um, you know, I'm a storyteller, but I don't say that in a sense that it sets me apart from anyone else, certainly the rest of you, because we're all storytellers. We all have stories to tell. And I think that those stories are important just because everything is changing so much. You know, like Kristen and I have been watching this show. We've been binging it pretty much about three to four episodes a night, some nights, uh, called uh, The 100. I don't know if any of you have watched it or not, but basically um, it's about this group of 100 kids that were on a space station with essentially what's left of humanity. And, you know, we um, had nuclear war. Most everything was wiped out. The uh, ground was radiated. And so they were living on this space station um, to basically wait out generations later 
to wait out Earth rebooting itself. And there was these hundred kids that were basically criminals. <laughs> and uh, they discovered that they were running out of oxygen um, prematurely on the uh, space station. So they decided to um, send the 100 kids down to the surface to see what the surface was like. So to the rest of the people who lived on the, uh, um, on the space station, first of all, they didn't tell them that this was happening. And then whenever the news got out, they said that, you know, the kids are being courageous and they were finding out whether it was safe. So everybody else could go down. Uh, but in reality, they were just looking to reduce the body count so that the oxygen would last longer. Um, but anyway, um, they landed on the East Coast. And uh, one of the interesting scenes, we're in the middle of season two, I think right now there's five seasons total so far. Um, but one of the interesting things is that there there's a group um, who basically survived the Holocaust through generations uh, that they refer to as the grounders. Um, and their primary um, base of operation where they live is essentially in Washington, D.C. But what's, what's really curious is that every so often you see like a random column, um, you see like the statue of Abraham Lincoln sitting on the chair, you know, <laughs> and there's like trees and bushes and everything growing up all around it. And so you have this, this story set and granted it's fiction. Okay. But you have the story set in a time hundreds of years into the future after nuclear proliferation and all of that. Um, and they reference these different markers like Abraham Lincoln statue. Um, but they don't know any of the stories behind what used to be there. You know, all that's left is their present day interactions in that region, which is mostly jungle or mountain or whatever the case. Um, and so it's just kind of fascinating to me The it kind of points to the same thing that I'm talking about today, <coughs> where what will we remember um, a hundred or 200 years from now. And will that story only be told, uh, based on a certain people group? You know, we see these, uh, apocalyptic type movies where, you know, the only people who survive are the elite and the politicians and whatever, cause they have the money to afford to do so. I don't know if there's truth to that or not. I mean, I know that there's reports of some of that, you know, type of planning happening now. Um, you know, you hear tell of underground bases and islands off the coast of New Zealand, all kinds of crazy things like that. But <sighs> chances are likely that's not going to <laughs> include me one way or the other. Um, and so, so there you go. That's, that's what I've been thinking about today. Um, is, uh, What's your legacy going to be? You know, whenever you're gone, what will the future generations remember? And you might think, well, it doesn't really matter because I'm just an ordinary person eking out an existence, blah, blah, blah. Um, but that's where you're wrong because every single one of us are here for a reason. We're here on this planet for a purpose. And, you know, whether we fulfill that purpose or not is still immaterial. Um, because we still have stories to tell and maybe we think that those stories aren't interesting, but they are, if you think about a large jigsaw puzzle, um, they are a piece of that puzzle that can't be filled by anyone else other than you. If those stories aren't told a piece of that jigsaw puzzle or that tapestry, whatever analogy you want to use, um, is missing. And it will never be filled in. Ever. So I think we all owe it to ourselves. We owe it to our kids and grandkids. We owe it to future generations to capture those stories, whether they're interesting or not. 
Um, and who knows what impact that could have on the near future, on the distant future. Like, who knows? Um, it's impossible to predict. But anyway, let me go to the comments and questions and see what you guys have to say. Uh, Kathleen says, uh, write children's books starring each of your parents and you and showing how daily life was so different. And then kids can imagine themselves in your places. That's definitely one way to approach it for sure. Um, and she also says, uh, do you keep thinking of all the questions you would have asked your grandparents or parents? If you realized how much would be lost, I do all the time. So do I. I, I think about it often, you know. Um, I, I try not to think about it too much just because it can make you crazy. Um, you know, but I think about times when I took it for granted and you think, well, they're going to be here forever. And then all of a sudden they're gone, you know, like times that I could have spent with my grandmother or my dad or, you know, my great grandmother, uh, just to talk to them. And it was more important to me to do whatever else, you know, and, and I was one who did talk to them a lot. You know, I mean, I grew up perhaps like many of you, uh, going to family reunions and those kinds of things, which you certainly don't see as much of today compared to how it was when I was a kid. And, you know, um, my, my grandfather's last name. So my mom's maiden name was Faircloth. And I remember going to the Faircloth family reunion from the time I was barely able to walk. And, um, I hated it. <laughs> as a little kid, to be honest with you, I absolutely hated it because, you know, I'm hanging out with a bunch of old people that I don't know in some location that, you know, wasn't my home. And, uh, it just, I didn't really see it at the time as fun, but yet in remembering back and seeing photos that were taken from, you know, whenever I was five or six or whatever, um, my great grand or great great grandmother was there. Um, a lot of the family members who now I just have pictures of, they were all there, you know. And I remember bits and pieces, but not a lot because I was fairly young. But I remember going to them, um, and uh, seeing them there. I mean, my great great grandmother, I remember the one time we had a bit of a party because, uh, her birth date was the same as my birthday. Uh, except that she was born in like, you know, the mid 1800s or something and or late 1800s, somewhere in around there. I forget the exact date now. Um, and I remember them having a party and making a big deal out of it because, you know, here I was with my great, great grandmother and we shared the same birthday. And so pictures and stuff, she kind of looked a little bit like a female Gandhi. I mean, <laughs> seriously, she actually did look a lot like Gandhi. I don't know why, but anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I often think about that Kathleen, you know, even my dad. I mean, I remember before he got sick, you know, he would want to do things and, you know, I'd be busy or whatever. And, um, there were still times where, you know, he and I would go out together with our cameras and stuff. I remember pretty much every one of those times. And of course I have the photos that we took to remind me as well. Um, but how much more? <laughs> William says, I had an electric football game too and spent a lot of time playing with it. Don't forget the spring-loaded piece that allowed you to throw a pass. Oh, yeah. Yep. 
Um, and Jess is here today. Uh, hi, Tony. Been gone a month. Uh, so much to do. Missed you guys. Well, I'm glad you're here. Um, and Lon says, I ended up taking a photo of the house my great-grandfather built and made it into an illustration using Watercolor Studio. That artwork sure was popular with my family. Oh, yeah. It, you know, and it's one of the reasons why, I don't know if you guys remember, you probably do. Two years ago, um, I got the idea to start creating fantasy illustrations of um, my grandkiddos. So I have four currently, and I'm content with four. <laughs> we don't really need any more. Um, but so I'll take their picture and put them in this fantasy scenario. And I did it. I started it as a tradition two years ago. And then, of course, continued it last year. And I just started thinking through the process of what I want to create this year. Uh, and another thing that I've done a lot uh, with the holidays um, and what you said really brought this back to mind is um, I, I like giving homemade gifts. I don't always and not all of them are homemade. Um, I mean, you know, especially for the kiddos, we have two toy stores, so <laughs> there's that, you know, but, but still like for my sisters and, um, and my mom and those, I, I love like scanning in the old photos and putting them together in photo collections and those kinds of things. And so I've given that kind of thing as a gift many times, you know, just different kinds of photos, um, compilations of stuff, information that I found. Um, one thing that's been really cool for me personally, and if you went through my genealogy course, I talked about this some, um, but like for my great grandparents and so on, back when they were, you know, alive and living life, um, they lived in a very rural area here in Pennsylvania. And so the local papers, like they didn't have a lot to report on because they weren't as connected like they are today, um, where you get news almost in real time. Um, and so there was a lot of reports, um, in the paper on a, usually not daily, but certainly weekly basis where they would go local town by local town. And they would share information like um, uh, so-and-so visited the home of Samuel and Alice Leidig and had a nice roast beef dinner, you know. Or, you know, Alice Leidig went shopping with her grandson, Verl, to Huntington for the day. Or those kinds of things. Like, they'd report that. And... Um, one thing that I haven't done, but I thought that might be really super cool um, uh, for a holiday gift this year for some of my family is to go back through some of those newspaper clippings and just track their lives, uh, which are just kind of snippets of their life. But uh, And it might be something for you to check out too, newspapers.com, uh, newspaperarchive.com and do searches for your family members' names. Um, and it may be pretty curious just what you'll discover through doing that. I learned a lot about, you know, my family a couple generations back just by doing that and just seeing the mundane stuff, you know, that they were doing. Um, people coming to visit, some of whom I have no idea who they are or anything like that, but they were best friends, you know, back at that time. And, uh, it just, it actually helps fill in a little bit of the story that otherwise I have no way of accessing. And so I've, I've started doing some of that research. I have been over the last little while, like I've been trying to locate the, uh, house again, where my dad grew up as a kid, they lived on a farm. My great grandparents had, and, um, I know like my dad took me there once as a drive by. And so I have that memory and I have one photograph of back when they actually lived there. Um, when my grandmother would have been an older teenager. Uh, and so like that memory from whenever I was 
in my early 20s, you know, so 30-year-old memory. Uh, I've been using that based on information that I've actually read in the paper. Like their address given in the paper at the time was RD1. You know, we don't delineate addresses like that anymore for the most part. You know, where we have rural, rural route or whatever. Um, now it's just road names. Uh, but I was able to determine the road that was considered RD1. And then they would occasionally say things in the paper like, you know, Samuel and Alice Leidig, which are my great-grandparents, who live near Waterfall, which is a town in here in Pennsylvania. Um, but their address was noted as Three Springs, but they lived near Waterfall. Three Springs, RD1. Uh, and then occasionally I'd find these newspaper clippings where it said that they lived in, um, uh, what is it called? <laughs> it just escaped me. Um, Oak, Oak something. Oak, I can't remember. But anyway, that town is no longer in existence. It isn't there. But the school is, like if you do, like I've been doing a lot of searches on Google Earth and Google Maps. And um, so the original school where my dad went to school, this the building itself isn't there at all, but they have a marker on Google Maps for it, which is surprising. Uh, and so putting together all that data, like where the school is, um, what RD1 Three Springs is, um, and near Waterfall, you know, all of that information uh, has allowed me to pretty much pinpoint where I believe their original farm was. The only way to know for sure is to actually drive there, which is about 40 minutes from here, uh, which I plan to do later this week. But, um, you know, there's little things like that that you can do to recapture some of those stories, you know, just using modern technology. Um, but anywho. William says, uh, great family memories to cherish and share with your kids and grandkids. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and he also says, uh, there's something to be said for oral history. I agree. Like, you know, I just don't know how much of that happens anymore. I mean, I'm sure it does in some families, but even in my own family, um, not so much. Uh, Kathleen says, my friend's grandmother was full-blood Cherokee, but at the time of the Dawes Rolls, the Trail of Tears, was still in living, living memory. They were not about to let the U.S. government give them each a number. A Texas rancher offered them all jobs in Texas instead, and they went. So my friend, who even looks Indian to other Indians, can't prove his heritage. Yeah, that's, that's not surprising at all. Um, Jess says, my childhood was devoid of grandparents. I agree there were happy times, but overshadowed by the unhappy events, yet I came out all right and learned to be opposite of my childhood experience. Well, that's awesome. And that's actually an important story that could be told. Uh, Tony says, the older I got, the more I wanted to listen to stories from my grandparents and older generations. Trouble was, I didn't know what questions to ask them. Um, he said, I didn't know what questions to ask when I was younger. Um, and he also shares, I'm 13 years older than you. And I remember families were a lot more interactive than they were in the eighties and forward to now. Yeah, I think so for sure. I agree. And Kathleen says, it sounds like you have a lot of great memories and spent more time with your elders than most of us. That's great. Yeah, I, I was blessed that way. Um, like one thing that I really can say at least for when I was young. Um, well, I would say up until I was 20. Um, my grandpa, my grandparents were very much a part of my life. Um, and so, like, we usually lived near them, uh, one or the other, uh, or we visited a lot. And... Um, I know that that had an impact. I mean, I remember, you know, both sets of grandparents, 
uh, taking me fishing, especially, you know, my grandmother, uh, my mom's mom and her second husband, I guess. Yeah. Cause my, her first husband, my true grandfather died when I was five. Um, and then she remarried. And so growing up, he was really more like my grandfather. Um, but I remember going hunting and fishing with them. Um, I remember going fishing with my other grandparents, my dad's parents, um, you know, as a kid catching this like 36 inch long, um, carp <laughs> that practically pulled me into the lake. My grandfather had to wrap his arms around me just to keep me from flying into the lake. It took me like an hour to land that stupid thing. Um, but I did it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there was a lot of things like that. I remember I was fortunate. I, I see that as being really fortunate. And so it's something that I try to be aware of now that I have grandparents or that I have grandchildren, excuse me, to, to be that for them, you know, to, to be around them on a regular basis, to do things with them and so on, not out of duty, but because I want to, you know, and I know that, you know, as they continue to grow, they'll remember that, you know, I want their memories of me to be fond, of course. Tony says, those towns disappearing must be an American thing. One or two villages have gone from the UK, but most towns have only gotten bigger. Is it because your buildings were wood and ours were brick and stone? I think it could be some of that. That's actually a really good point. I haven't quite thought about it like that before, but I mean, America is a fairly young country. You know, we act like we've been here forever, but we haven't. Um, <laughs> as opposed to, you know, Europe and other places where, you know, you may still have I, I was reading something just yesterday about um, a building in France that's still being used that was built in the 13th century. It's like, okay, <laughs> like we don't have that here at all. Um, so I think that could be part of it uh, for sure. Um, Suzanne says, my great-grandmother was full-blood Seneca, but we can't trace it or prove it. Yeah, and that's... That's not surprising. And unfortunately, with a lot of the Native American um, interaction, because of the whole, you know, CDIB thing with the blood and, and all of that, they've actually created the government. They have created this competitive kind of dynamic where a lot of Native American tribes, not all, but many have shunned third or fourth generation descendants because they represent competition, you know, for government um, grants or casino money or whatever the case may be. Um, the Cherokee aren't quite that standoffish about it, but you, to, to be legally declared Cherokee as a card carrying member, you still have to be able to prove heritage back to one of the roles like the Dawes role or one of those. Um, but the one thing that I have appreciated about the Cherokee is that, um, like you may not get access to college funding or anything like that, but they are still very inviting with regard to, uh, heritage and teaching because, uh, very, very early on, um, once the Europeans came over, uh, some of the best well-known tribal chiefs were actually mixed bloods. And, um, and so as a result, they've been very open that way, um, to, to others who are embracing their culture. And, uh, it's not to say that they won't test you. I mean, I remember one time I was at a powwow with my family and, um, I, this older, uh, woman came over and was talking with me and she was asking me a lot of questions about my regalia and I was wearing traditional Cherokee regalia and um you know because they have like a um instead of wearing like a headdress like Cherokees didn't do headdresses okay they had a turban uh very similar to Middle Eastern turbans actually 
Um, and so they had like turbans and different things like that. Um, bandoliers, uh, which like straps that would go around your, uh, your arms and um, center seam moccasins and just a lot of different things like that, that are similar to other tribes, but different. And uh, so she was asking me a lot of these different questions and um, about the regalia and about heritage and all that. And so I was just, I mean, I know my stuff, you know, so to speak. Um, and so I was describing a tour and everything. And, and uh, she was very, thankful and appreciative and everything. And then she walked away and one of my friends, um, older friends, who's also Cherokee, uh, came up and said, Oh, so you met grandmother so-and-so. And I'm like, who's that? She's like, he said, uh, the elder that you were just talking to. And I said, Oh yeah, she's really nice. And she's, he said, uh, so what was she asking you? And I said, Oh, she was asking me about, what I was wearing and all of that kind of stuff. And he just smiled and shook his head. And he said, you know, she's one of the clan mothers from the uh, Cherokee res in Oklahoma. Like she's one of the decision makers out there. She was testing you to see if you knew your stuff. And all of a sudden I just like went pale faced, you know, and like, well, I guess I did okay. And he's like, well, you know, you, you know what you're talking about. So later on, she came up to me and approached me and invited me. They had a, a drum there at the powwow and invited me to sit at their drum, which is a real honor. Uh, she would not have done that if I didn't know my culture at all. And uh, so it was just one of those cool experiences that I had um, essentially based on part of my heritage that I had to learn, you know, th that I had to learn about from the elders and different ones like that, that turned out to be a really positive experience for me, just, you know, because of some of the elders that I've had the privilege to meet and some of the chiefs, you know, like I've met the chiefs of the different Cherokee chiefs and all of that. And, uh, so it was really cool. All right. Well, I've jabbered long enough about this. Um, I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. And, uh, of course, we'll get together next week and talk about probably something completely different and random. <laughs> but that's the fun of this particular series. So, anyway, I hope you enjoy your week this uh, coming week here and uh, going into the weekend. And I'll see you next week for the next show of Nerd Unscripted.